Good morning again. For those of you in the back, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we ask for abundant grace. We ask that you would give grant us open eyes in our hearts, that we might have new revelation of you, that we might come to know you better and be uh, changed in our hearts. Lord, we do not want simply an intellectual exercise. I ask you to put your words in my mouth uh, so that we hear from you, Lord, not from me. We ask it from Jesus' name for his honor and glory. All right, we are going to go to Matthew 22. We're going to look in verse 34. It says, But when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they gathered together, and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the greatest commandment in the law, or the great commandment in the law? And he said to him, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment, and a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. All right, the context in which Jesus made that statement was he was in Jerusalem for the last time. Uh, he was, um, there was his last week there. Ultimately, he would be arrested, crucified, and raised from the dead. But before that happened, during that week that he was there, the Sadducees and the Pharisees were doing everything they could to trap him, uh, to trick him into saying something that would get him into trouble. This was one of those questions with the attempt uh, to do that. And Jesus noted what he did is when he quoted from, uh, what he was quoting from was the Old Testament, obviously. And with regard to verse 37, where he says you shall love the Lord your God with all your mind, with all your soul and heart, etc. He is quoting there from Deuteronomy 6, verse 5. And in verse 39, where he is saying you shall love the, your neighbor as yourself, he is quoting from Leviticus 19, 39. Now, we know that from... Uh, the Apostle John says in 1 John 4, 8, and he says it again in verse 16, that God is love. So in other words, God just doesn't love. He is love. Uh, and God's love is defined in terms, in these terms, if you would. He is eternally giving himself to, uh, to love others unconditionally for their good expecting nothing in return. In other words, when I say unconditionally, if they don't return his love, uh, he is going to continue loving. Uh, and that's very different from human love uh, because human love generally is utterly dependent on somebody loving them back. Uh, the old phrase I heard, if you put gas in my tank, I'll put gas in your tank. You stop putting gas in my tank, I'll stop putting gas in your tank. Human love is defective uh, to, uh, in most cases, in a, to a large extent. I'm not saying you can't genuinely love people, but it's not the love of God that is unconditional. When God loves for people's good, he doesn't have a hidden agenda. 
uh, he loves people because that's who he is and what he is. The other aspect, there's a number of aspects to it we'll see in a minute, but he is also loving un, in a manner that is unbiased. In other words, he doesn't love some of you more than he does others. Uh, he, he doesn't love the apostles and Billy Graham and some of the great saints more than he does you. He loves everybody the same uh, with this deep love that is unconditional, that ultimately seeks the good of those he loves, and that's everybody. Uh, now, the word for love in uh, the uh, scriptures here for God's love is the word agape. Uh, it's a, the Greek word for love is agape. There are different types of love in Greek, but this is agape is a particular word. And interestingly enough, it is the same word, not only for God's love, but it is also the same word for us loving God and also for us loving one another. In other words, we are to love him and others in the same way that he loves us. Uh, and agape, frankly, uh, there's two words, agapeo and agape, and one is a derivative of the other. But the word itself was seldom used in Greek uh, in those days. And the Apostle Paul in particular uh, borrowed that word and filled it with Christian meaning uh, to describe this supernatural love of God. Uh, Jesus at the Last Supper uh, also uh, reiter uh, reiterated that same love, but he did so in the capacity of the New Testament rather than the Old Testament. So what he did say was in John, we're going to go to John 13, verses 34 and 35, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another just as I have loved you. You also are to love one another. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Uh, he also gave a second commandment in the, later uh, in, the, in the same time frame in John 14, verse 15. Now, this is his statement about loving one another in John 13 is at the Last Supper. And so all of this down through John 17 is pretty much the same event. They go beyond the Last Supper to Gethsemane, but it's the same thing. And Jesus says in John 14, verse 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. And then in verse 21, he says, whoever has my commandments and keeps them, he it is who loves me. And he who loves me will be loved by my Father and I will love him and manifest myself uh, to him. So what we have in the uh, Old Testament, in other words, what was cited in Deuteronomy 6 and in Leviticus 18, is essentially the same thing that Jesus is saying in John 14, 13, uh, 34, and what he is saying in John 14, verse 15. And yet... At the beginning of his statement in John 13, he says, a new commandment I give to you. Uh, well, what does he mean by new commandment if it appears to be basically the same thing? John says this in 1 John. He explains a little more in detail what Jesus means. He says in 1 John 2, 7, Beloved, I am writing you 
no new commandment, but an old commandment that you have had from the beginning. The old commandment is the word that you have heard. The new commandment, at the same time, he says, it is a new commandment that I am writing to you, which is true in him and in you, because the darkness is passing away and the true light is already shining. So what is the new commandment that appears to be the same as stated in Deuteronomy and Leviticus? The new commandment is this. Now in Christ, you can do it. Uh, we didn't have the ability to carry that commandment out in the Old Testament. In the New Testament, because we are now in Christ, we can do that. 1 Corinthians 6.19 says, Do you not know that your body is the temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you? Because he is living in us. We have an ability to do that that was not there before. Now, in verse First um, John, again, the question, two things I want to look at. Actually, there's about 14, but I'll probably not get to all of them. But the first one is, what is our motivation to actually love him? Uh, and that would be in First John, again. We'll be jumping back and forth a lot between John and First John. I call the Gospel of John, Big John. I call First John, Little John. I call Second John, Littler John. And I call Third John, Littlest John. Okay, but in John, First John, Little John, First John 4, uh, the Apostle John says this. Here's our motivation. In this the love of God was made manifest among us, but God sent his only son into the world so that we might live through him. In this is love. Not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought also to love one another. In other words, our motivation is he loved us first. And he sent his son to be a propitiation for our sins. Now, I did say this in the last service. If you succeed in making the word propitiation on the Scrabble board, you win. And they will never play with you again. Propitiation means through the atonement, the wrath of God has been appeased. All right, now, um, first, uh, the, the Lord loved us first before we loved him. The greatest example of his loving us first is the fact that he sent the Lord Jesus uh, to be that propitiation for us. Uh, it is the greatest example is the cross. Uh, and the fact that Jesus hanging on the cross at that time bore our sin. And that's not some of our sin, that's all of our sin. In other words, from the moment you were born till the moment you die, he paid the price for all of that. The other part aspect of it, there's two aspects to what he's done in the atonement. One is he has obtained forgiveness for our sin. Secondly, he has paid our punishment for those sins. Romans 8.1, for there is therefore now no condemnation to those who are in Christ Jesus. Okay, in other words, you sinned and he got punished for it. Uh, that to me, I still have never wrapped my mind 
totally around that. But it's, um, the, the fact is, because of the atonement, because this wrath of God has been appeased, now when people go to hell, it's not because of their sin. It's because they refused the gift of God that forgave their sin and their punishment. They've turned a back to what God had done for them. That's what gets them sent there. Because it says in 1 John 2, 2, he died for the sins of the whole world. Okay, it says in 2 Corinthians 5.15, it says, for the love of Christ constrains us. He died for all, therefore all died. Why? He died for all because there was no one who wasn't spiritually dead. Uh, and the result is he covers everything and everybody. When somebody declines to receive Christ, uh, they, as Paul put it to the Jews in Pisidian Antioch when they turned on him on the gospel. In other words, the person who does that chooses to disqualify himself from eternal life. Uh, don't go telling people you're going to hell because you're going, you've been a sinner. No, if they go, it's because they chose to disqualify themselves for eternal life. It's, it's the same thing in a, in a way of somebody lying in bed, dying with a disease that's going to kill them. And that's what sin is, really. And on the bedside table next to them is the medicine that would cure them, and they refuse it. That's exactly what happens when you say, I don't want what you have done for me. Uh, it really boggles the mind to, to fully understand that, but usually the reason for it is they want to do their own thing, and they don't want somebody getting in, in the way of them. Twice I've talked to atheists different times, different places, shared the gospel with them. Both of them asked me the same question. Where do you think I really stand? I said, oh, you believe everything I told you. It just didn't convenient. And both smiled and walked off. They know. Uh, they just don't want to do, uh, they don't want to give themselves over to the Lord. Okay, now, second one. First, motivation. Second, uh, how are we able to love as God loves? Let's go back to John 14. John 14, 15 again, but I'm going to add verse 16. 14, 15 says, if you love me, you will keep my commandments. Now, 16, now notice this. 16 begins with the word and, okay? 1 John 14, 15, if you love me, you will keep my commandments, and I will ask the Father, and he will give you another helper to be with you forever. How are you going to keep his commandments? Because the helper is going to be given to you for, to be with you forever. He will not only help you to love Jesus by keeping his commandments, he will also help you in terms of loving one another. Now, I want to say this, that that phrase, the helper, is not to be limited to that statement. Uh, the helper also means counselor, uh, and he does numerous things that are both counselor and help. He d he's our, our defense counsel, but he also is the one who causes you to realize that you are the children of God. He is the one that teaches you the word of God and reveals truth to you. 
Uh, he is the one that helps us pray because we do not know what to pray for, and he helps us in our weakness. But another term for helper also means aid, to aid us. And when it comes to keeping the commandments of Jesus because we love him, he is the helper who will aid us and help us in doing that. That's why you're able to do it. Everybody with me? Okay, now, um, the... Um, let me say this, how does love then uh, manifest itself uh, from us? In other words, how does the love that we are given, in other words, the Holy Spirit produces this love in us, and how does the love manifest itself? I would suggest to you, one, by obedience, John 14, 15, and 21. Two, by serving others. Mark 10:45 Jesus said for the son of man did not come to be served but to serve and to give his life a ransom for others and John again 13:34 the new commandment i give you uh, that you love one another so we manifest this love of god in us by one obedience and two we manifest it uh, by serving one another. And that's not limited to Christians. We serve anybody that's in need. Uh, let me say something to you, and this is that love is not fundamentally based on feelings. Um, love fundamentally is a choice. If you look at Jesus uh, in Gethsemane, uh, Jesus was praying in such agony that Luke 22 tells us that he was sweating drops of blood and it took an angel coming to strengthen him. I guarantee you Jesus did not have happy feelings and good feelings about what he was about to do. But because he loved us, he chose to obey the Father and do what the Father had called him to do. He says, if it's possible let this cup pass from me. In other words, frankly, he didn't want to do it. But not my word, not my will, but your will be done. That is a choice. Okay, now, um, let me say this too. Um, love of God and God's love does not exclude feelings. Don't misunderstand me. It's just not fundamental. Uh, to the love of God. I mean, um, I think I can say here that I genuinely have a adoring love for God. Why? Because I have seen him intervene in my life numerous times with his loving kindness, his faithfulness, his generosity, uh, and I am delighted to know him. And I imagine many, if not all of you, can give the same testimony. We have a feeling, a genuine feeling of love for him because we've seen his loving kindness in action. It isn't just an intellectual belief. We walk with him, and it is an actual experiential walk. Everybody with me on that one? Okay, but fundamentally, love is a choice to do what God wants us to do. It is a choice to obey, and that winds up uh, loving one another as well and serving others. Now, let me, uh, let's just talk about serving others. Let's go back to John. I told you we'll be spending lots of time in Brother John. 
uh, in the gospel. Now, let me give you an example of serving one another. John 13, now, this we're going to begin in verse 4. Okay, John 13, Jesus said, as we've already seen, a new commandment I give you, that you love one another. We have seen that loving God and loving one another is a choice, a choice to obey God and to love one another. Uh, feelings can be and often are involved, but fundamentally it is a choice uh, to do what he wants us to do. Jesus, before he made that statement, gave them a very interesting example. Verse 4, he rose from supper. He laid aside his outer garments and taking a towel, he tied it around his waist and then he poured water into a basin and began to wash the disciples' feet and um, with the, the disciples' feet and to wipe them with the towel that was wrapped around him. He came to Simon Peter who said to him, Lord, do you wash my feet? And Jesus answered, what I am doing you do not understand now, but afterwards you will understand. Peter said to him, you shall never wash my feet. Jesus answered him, if I do not wash you, you have no share with me. Simon Peter said to him, Lord, not my feet only, but my hands and my head. And Jesus said to him, the one who is bathed does not need wash except to wash except his feet. And you are all clean, but not all of you. Okay, first of all, um, I'll explain why Peter said what he said. Washing feet in that day, in that culture, was the job of the lowest slave in the household. Not only was it the job of the lowest slave, it was the lowest job that slave could be doing. Hence, Peter says, you're not washing my feet, Lord. Okay, one thing real quick about that. It's not possible to say no, Lord. You can say no. You can say Lord. can't say no, Lord. Okay, but why was he saying that? Because here is his Lord, the Messiah, doing the lowliest job that a lowliest slave can do that does. And he just couldn't fathom the Messiah doing that. Jesus goes on to explain this uh, in verse uh, 12. When he had washed their feet and put on his outer garment and resumed his place, he said to them, Do you understand what I have done for you? And you call me teacher and Lord, and you are right, for so I am. If then, you're, if then I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you also ought to wash one another's feet. For I have given you the example that you should do just as I have done. All right. Let me suggest this to you. When we serve, what is, and right after this, he says, a new commandment I give you. Okay, when we serve, what are we being told here? There is no service or serving that is too low for us to go to. There is nothing that God will call us to do to serve one another that we are above and not, you know, this is too much. That we're, no, there is nothing so low that God will not call us to serve, even sinners, even in their sin. We don't grant them, we don't affirm their sin, but we, we can serve them in love. God may call us to do that. There is no task too low 
for us to do that. In fact, um, let's look at Galatians 5 because I want to look at the various aspects of love real quick. And that is Galatians 5, 22 and 23. And um, I don't know that you're going to see it up there, but what I normally do when I'm teaching scripture, especially when I'm trying to teach people on how to do it, I will say, pay attention to lists. In other words, when something is listed, and a good example is the Beatitudes, they're a list. Pay attention to lists and ask yourself, why does it come in the order that it does? Because I can tell you the Holy Spirit's not haphazard uh, in his writing. The Holy Spirit puts what's first first because there's a reason for it. Now, in this case, Galatians 5, 22 through 23 is the fruit of the Spirit. He says, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. All right, why do you put love first? Why not peace, kindness, love, self-control? Because love, the other eight that follow love, flow out of love. They are different aspects of what God's love reflects itself as being. Are you with me? Now, that's not an exclusive list. Humility is another example of the aspects of God's love. Now, it's implied here. You want to see another other aspects of God's love, look at 1 Corinthians 13, verses 4 uh, through 8. Uh, but what we want to understand is that the Holy Spirit is within us, dwelling in us, and he isn't just taking a rest and having a picnic. He is changing us. He is changing us to reflect Jesus. Romans 8.28 says, For we know that all things God works together for good to those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. Uh, what is his purpose? Well, one of them is, in verse 29, to conform us to the image of his Son. So we are being changed. We are being conformed to the image of his Son, and that confirmation causes the development in our lives of the uh, fruit of the Spirit to be manifest. Uh, let me give you an example of it. Let's go back to 2 Corinthians. 2 Corinthians 3, uh, the Apostle Paul uh, is saying this, verse 17, Now the Lord is the Spirit, and where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is freedom. And we all, with unveiled face beholding the glory of the Lord, are being transformed into the same image from one degree of glory to another, for this comes from the Lord, who is the Spirit. Okay, are we there? No, but we're getting there. We're being changed. And as we are being changed, we are also loving him uh, and loving one another. Uh, let me just uh, go to the last part of what I wanted to say, which means we'll be here another hour. But that's okay, right? I see some new people are leaving. <laughs> if you saw the title to this sermon, it was entitled uh, Love 
and unity. Okay, let's go back to John. I hope you've been keeping your finger there. Notice that John says in John uh, 13, he says first in verse 34, he says a new commandment I give you that you love one another just as I have loved you also, are to, you also are to love one another. Then look at 35. By this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And then let's move over to John 17. This is Jesus' great high priestly prayer. Right before he is arrested, he is speaking to the Father. And what he says uh, in uh, John 17, he says, verse 20, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through their word. That's us. Okay. That they may all be one, just as you, Father, are in me and I in you, that they may be one, that they may be in us so that the, look at this, so that the world may know that you have sent me. The glory that you have given me, I have given them, that they may be one even as we are one. Okay? We love one another. Why? That the world may know that God sent Jesus. We are one with one another and with him. Why? So that the world may know that he sent Jesus. Moving back to John 14 real quick, you'll see that Jesus says uh, in verse 17, even the spirit of truth, this is after saying I'll give you the helper, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him, for you know him, for he dwells with you and he will be in you. The world cannot receive the spirit of truth because they can't see him. The world says, show me and I'll believe. God says, no, you believe and I'll show you. Okay. They cannot see the spirit. The spirit is invisible. But what can they see? They can see us loving one another and they can see us walking in oneness. That they can see. Uh, let me give you, uh, let's take a look real quick. Um, that the uh, Ephesians 4, 1 through 3, because I want to show you the connection of love with oneness. Remember the fruit of the Spirit. Ephesians um, 4. That's probably already up there. It is. You can always read it. Ephesians 4. I therefore, a prisoner for the Lord, urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you've been called. Now look at this. With all humility and gentleness, with patience, bearing with one another in love. Sound familiar? Then it says, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit in the bond of peace. All right, folks, we do not create unity. The Holy Spirit creates the unity. Our job is to maintain it. How do we maintain it? By loving one another. Okay, Philippians 2 says the same thing in a different way. Verse 1, so if there is any encouragement in Christ, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection in sympathy, complete my joy by being of the, look at this, same mind, having the same love, being full in full accord of one mind. What's that remind you of? Okay, how do you do that? Verse 3, do nothing from selfish ambition or conceit, 
but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interest, but also to the interests of others. Let this mind be in you, which was in Christ Jesus. And then he proceeds to give you a picture of Jesus' love and humility. So what do we know? Unity of the church and oneness rests on the foundation of loving God and loving one another. Okay. We are in great spiritual warfare right now. That spiritual warfare that the devil is waging is primarily aimed, there's other ways, there's other attacks he makes, but it is primarily aimed at destroying the unity of the church. Why? Because his captives, the world, are hungry for that very thing. The thing they desire most is oneness, peace, and meaning. That's why they don't get it because the sin nature can't do that. And that's why we have such increases in suicide. Uh, the enemy does not want them to see this in the church. And I'm sorry to say that he's done a very effective job of making sure we were not unified with one another, either doctrinally, which is uh, fundamental doctrine is one thing, secondary doctrine is another, uh, you know, disputes, problems, offenses with one another. He makes sure uh, that we are not unified. The world is so determined, desi I'm sorry, so desirous of this and of having unity and peace that they are going to follow after the Antichrist because he is going to promise that. And they really, what we have, what the church has, is what they are thirsting for. And when they see it, they know it. Now, how we do this, let me give you Ephesians. I'm getting a buzz on my watch. Let's see. Please sit down. <laughs> I'm going to. That's not really from them. <laughs> Ephesians 5.18, and do not get drunk with wine, for that is debauchery, but be filled with the Spirit. Okay, filled with the Spirit here is not talking about the baptism of the Holy Spirit. That's valued. That's valuable, and that's a valid concept even today. But that's when Pentecost came and the Holy Spirit came upon people and gave them the ability, gave the apostles and, and other Christians the ability to minister in power. Here, being filled with the Spirit is talking about the indwelling Spirit that's always with you. And the verb form tense here is always be being filled with the Holy Spirit. So how are we always being filled with the Holy Spirit? We are asking God to do that. We should be asking God to do that uh, perpetually. Paul says in 1, Corinthians, 1 Thessalonians 5, pray without ceasing. That's one of the things we should be praying without ceasing. Jesus said this in Luke 11, verse 9, And I tell you, ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and it will be opened to you. Okay, ask, seek, find. The word form there is the same. Always be asking. Always be seeking. Always be knocking. And the result, verse 13, if you then who are evil know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit 
to those who ask him. So what we should be doing is continually saying, Lord, today fill me with your Holy Spirit. I'm un un uh, unconditionally committed to you. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. Fill me with your Holy Spirit. I want to walk in the power of the Spirit. Uh, seek him. Seek him. Seek him. Seek him. Okay, I'm going to quit, but I'll close in prayer. But, and I really mean it. Okay, because I want to say that if you're first time, I'll be happy to meet you down here in the corner. And um, one thing I want to say that I forgot to say is Ter uh, Gary is not up here right now because he's in Turkey. And you need to pray for him. Uh, they're having conference over there. The Turkish, things are getting kind of dicey in Turkey. You need to pray for him that he'll be safely back uh, and that they will accomplish the purpose they want to accomplish. If you want to ask questions or meet elders over there in the corner in the left, to my left, your right, okay, after we finish, I'll ask that elder couples and staff couples would be down front here uh, to pray for those who want to have prayer. And if you want to be filled with the Spirit, we should be doing that. Okay, I want to close with this. The, my favorite passage that I often close with, it follows... Um, God's, uh, Paul's statement that he's praying that they'll be filled with, a, uh, that Christ will dwell in their hearts by faith and they'll come to know the height, the depth, the breadth, and the length of the love of Christ uh, and to know this love that transcends knowledge. And this is my favorite closing doxology because listening to this being preached, I was converted. 55 years ago and he has been wonderful um, he says now to him who is able to do far more abundantly than all that we ask or think according to the power at work within us and then verse 21 when, and let me say this when we love as he loves when we walk in oneness with one another, we are demonstrating to the world who he is. And that's how we glorify. Okay? Verse 21, to him be glory in the church and in Christ Jesus throughout all generations forever and ever. Amen. Let's pray. Heavenly Father. We acknowledge that it is not within our strength and our power or our ability to love as you do, to be obedient to Jesus and to love one another by how we want to because you first loved us, we now love you. Fill us with your Holy Spirit so that we are always being filled with the Holy Spirit that we may genuinely demonstrate to one another but to the world in general your love in us moving through us to one another but also to all the others around us, even our enemies. And we ask for the outpouring right now as we speak, the outpouring of the baptism of the Holy Spirit as well. And we ask it for your honor and glory. And now to you, Lord, we give you honor, dominion, power, praise, and majesty in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. Go love somebody. <laughs>